Welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host here on today's program. Uh, we're broadcasting live from uh, Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Take a second here to thank some of the local businesses that helped make our program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at uh, 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. And they've also got an excellent catering service. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating critters large and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. Uh, thanks also to Ritual Cafe at 13th and Locust in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and a all-vegetarian menu. And thanks to Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to fight climate change, to push back against the Dakota Access Pipeline, and to promote non-industrial renewable energy resources. And finally, thanks to uh, Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with really friendly, helpful service. Okay, so welcome to the program. Uh, taking a quick look ahead here, folks. Later in the program, we're going to be talking about the politics of abortion because that has become a front and center issue both nationally, thanks to the State of the Union Address, and here in Iowa. We're going to talk uh, later in the program with Veronica Fowler with the American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa about efforts to restore felon voting rights in one of the few states that don't have a process that really makes that workable. We'll also talk about the Green New Deal and analyze what the specific resolution says. Uh, but for now, uh, I'm going to welcome Charles Goldman to the uh, show, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the stampede of presidential candidates who are overrunning our fair state. Charles, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Ed. So um, it's been sort of the interesting time because we're going to get the more boring, centrist uh, as we go along. But right now we're having Marion Williamson and I guess Tulsi Gabbard was supposed to be here last night. So. She, uh, her plane got delayed in uh, Chicago, but I guess she, I, I suppose she's going to make uh, meetings that are scheduled for Iowa City and Fairfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, everybody's stopping in Fairfield. Well, not everybody. <laughs> see if they can float. <laughs> Donald Trump isn't stopping in Fairfield. <laughs> we already know that he's floating. We don't know what he's floating on, but he's floating on something. And I know you've met with Yang and uh, who else? Uh, Hickenlooper, Governor, Colorado mm -hmm. Governor Hickenlooper. Uh, we've had uh, – I've known people who have spoken about, about uh, climate and uh, the pipeline with um, uh, Sherrod Brown, U.S. Senator from Ohio. And uh, we've also uh, – many of us uh, who are kind of comparing notes on this have been to events with uh, Elizabeth Warren and uh, Cory Booker. I will say I was really disappointed in the Cory Booker event. Yeah, how come? Well – because they didn't serve food? <laughs> no, they didn't serve the right kind of food. No, they didn't serve any food, and that's fine. Uh, and actually, if you wanted to buy a drink, you had to get one in the basement in plastic and bring that upstairs. Oh, was it the uh, – The one social club. Oh, right, right, okay. Right. But there were, they, they estimate there were about 500 people there. Uh -huh. But uh, – okay. So first of all, you don't, you don't say, say the event starts at 2, doors open at 2, and then not open them until well after 2 on a really, really cold day – when a few people have made it inside the foyer, mm -hmm. and the rest are all standing outside in the cold, and a long line is forming, and campaign staff are taking pictures of the long line. I don't know for sure, but I heard—I haven't checked this. I've heard that you know that that found its way into tweets or other posts saying, "Hey, look at the long line waiting to well, see actually, Cory Booker." It was the <laughs> longest line ever for a political rally. Which at Cory Booker. You heard that somewhere. Well, no, I love the president. Oh, <laughs> oh uh, according to, according to Trump. <laughs> well, oh, oh, okay, you're you're channeling Trump through Booker. And exactly. You're, you're ridiculous. Actually, I heard Sean, yeah. Sean Spicer is working as the communications director for uh, Booker's campaign. Well, he's in. He's in. <laughs> the, the, just a disclaimer, folks. I was totally made up. <laughs> Fake news. Fake news from Charles Goldman. <laughs> so, yeah, no, so, I mean, here, I, I, I knew one, talked to one gal who was waiting outside and really unhappy about it because the doors were closed after just a few people got inside. The theater, mm -hmm. they could have opened the theater and let people in. Right. Okay, so what else? So, well, they, is, do you think that to some degree this is kind of amateur hour? I mean, there's so many people running. How many actually capable yeah. campaign it's managers the, are there out there? It's the first round of additions. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you know, there's probably enough campaign managers to, uh, especially if Sean, Sean Spicer gets involved, there's <laughs> um, <clears throat> probably enough uh, campaign managers to, but you need not just the manager, you need all the other staff and, right. and everything else. But uh, yeah, I think this is the first audition and we'll narrow it down to a handful 
mm-hmm. um, and that may be a very large. It may be an, it may be an historic handful. I mean, normally you might see six candidates competing for the prize in the Iowa caucuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually it's maybe five by the time they get to New Hampshire, and after that it might be three. Which you know, you know unlike unlike what the media wants, is a good thing. I mean, because yeah, the sure. more competition, you get to kind of anneal your arguments against others, especially with the Democrats, when many of them are on some positions so similar. I think that uh, to distinguish yourself out of a larger group will actually make you a better candidate as we move along. Well, I want to go back to the Cory, Cory Booker event. I, I'm okay, not, I'm not that's done fine. Being a, now, I was. I came to that event really hopeful because Booker talked strongly about the Green New Deal and climate change and the urgency of the problem, the the need for bold solutions. And uh, he was quoted nationally for talking about that. And there was, of course, pushback from the Rush Limbaugh's and other types of – other other talking heads of the right. Uh, and and I was expecting, OK, he'll talk more about it in Des Moines. Mm. Never mentioned it. What, did he, mentioned what did he concentrate on? Uh, himself. <laughs> Oh, so it was, like, it was like going to a Trump rally. <laughs> well, no, nothing can quite compete with a Trump rally, but nice try. No, no. But, but the facility, I mean, they had – this is a big room, but they just set a few chairs in front. And these chairs were for hand-picked people. Uh-huh. You weren't able to – even if you were in the front of the line, you weren't able to get to those chairs. Right. So everybody's standing mm-hmm. for basically three hours. Mm. Three hours. You know, uh, well, two and a half at least, depending on when you got there, you know. But, uh, Which is weird because you could set it up as a theater. That's what that downstairs I know, it's a, is. It is a theater. Yeah. Right. And so on stage we have five politi- politicians, all good people. But uh, so who was who was with him? Uh, well, it was uh, it was uh, state uh, state senator Janet Peterson, state reps uh, uh, Kristen Sunday and um, and Jennifer Confirst, and the city councilman Josh Mandelbaum, and school board member Dion Dion. Oh, blanking on the name. Uh, and so they. Um, they, they they were there basically to introduce themselves, I think, and mm-hmm. then to ask – I'm pretty sure – I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure the question they asked was prearranged. And then Booker took, count them, three questions from the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that's, that's, not a, that's, not a, that's not an opportunity to really dialogue in the kind of grassroots democratic fashion that the Iowa caucuses are intended to nurture. Well, were you at the Kamala Harris event? No, we couldn't even get into that. Okay. That, that was – there was no opportunity there. Right. So Harris, Warren, and Booker have all been doing these big staged events. I mean, again, long line out front. That, that, that works well for your national spin. Mm-hmm. You know, packed crowd and everybody's standing room only because, again, there's no chairs. <laughs> <laughs> and then no tough questions, you know. Right. Because, I mean, all, all the five questions from the politicians on stage were, were total softball questions. Yeah, like so, what they ask. Oh, a lot of it had to do with things that he could then again reflect on on himself personally, right. his background, his history, uh, his passion. And that's all good. Some of it did deal with some. We did deal with uh, housing and and some other bread and butter issues. But um, you know, I managed to get the last question in when he was pre- trying to leave the uh, the uh, the studio, the uh, the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, we. <laughs> Kathy and I. As uh, he's getting in the elevator. We, we vaulted over some chairs. <laughs> All right. We, we crawled gently over these chairs. All right. And, 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 and he's trampled, trampled, a couple, trampled a couple of people. No, no. He trampled yeah. no one. No. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's, he's surrounded by handlers and lots of media. Right. And finally, I said, hey, uh, uh, Senator, great job talking about climate change in Mason City. Disappointed we didn't hear anything about it today. He says, well, you should have asked me. I says, well, you should have given me a chance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was, no, there was no chance for real public dialogue. So, mm-hmm. But at least I got that much in. But, you know, um, we had three uh, – there were, there were three Warren events in eastern Iowa, and I know there were climate people at each of them. Yeah. But, again, there was no opportunity to talk with her at, in Cedar Rapids or Iowa City. Mm-hmm. But one of, uh, one of the people, uh, Mike Wilkins, who works – he's with Bold Iowa and with the Sierra Club, he did manage to get uh, a question in on climate. So that happened. But it's tough. This, these um, these top-tier candidates are not making it easy for the type of participatory democracy that the caucuses embody. Dude. Now, I will say some of the other candidates, that's been very possible. Yang, mm-hmm. uh, the mayor of – Mayor uh, Pete, whose last Mayor name Pete, yeah, I will never be able to pronounce. His last name. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and Mayor Pete, as I've said, I, I think has raised a very important question, which is not just climate change, but when are we going to – when is the pol- political class going to stop being members of our generation who's, uh, dr- who are driven by interests 
that unfortunately do not correlate with those of the younger people, even their own children. You know. Do you want to specify a little bit more? Well, because uh, I, I think we're still we're still stuck in the old World War II derived ideas of geopolitical position of the United States that, that there's a military solution to everything that we're going to protect the entitlements of the elderly in preference to the entitlements of and I hate I'm not going to use those terms the the social safety net for the elderly vis-a-vis the social safety net for the the, the fact that 25 percent of children in the United States grow up in poverty hmm. I mean and so. I, you know, the political class, it's one thing to look at the Republicans at the State of the Union and look at a bunch of older white guys, all older white guys, as opposed to what was on the other side, on the right-hand side of the president, which was a much more diverse group. With lots of white clothing. We're wearing lots of white clothing. That's <laughs> correct. But, I mean, ultimately, we there is a generational issue here. I think as somebody who is as as fervent on climate change as you are and I am, I'm not sure we're going to be able to convince our generation – that spending money on climate change in preference to Social Security and Medicare is going to be uh, what they're down with. Whereas I think an appeal to people who it's going to start to affect very directly would be much more fruitful. So, you know, that, I, I, that's why I think Mayor Pete is actually one of the more interesting members. Because he's uh, – how old is he? I think he's in, he seems like he's in his 30s, late 30s. I think 30s. he's in his 30s, yeah. 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 And he kind of has checked the boxes. You know, he's a military veteran. He's married. <laughs> Albeit to a man. To a man named Ch- Chasen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so he, to me, is intriguing. I mean, clearly not somebody given the given the narrowest well, and, the narrowness of the spectrum know, of politics. Andrew Yang was young, too, and he's, yeah. he's extremely bright. Yeah, and uh, I like he, his idea of – Well, but his ideas on climate change are kind of wacky, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, they are. I mean, just you, fought, you solved climate change by giving everybody more income? Well, he does come from a state where marijuana is legally <laughs> recreational, so maybe that's part of it. But you also solve, solve climate change or at least slow glacial melt by packing dirt around the base? Well, it's going to be a little hard to do when you have to pack it underneath the ice in Antarctica as it collapses. But, yeah, of course, I mean, that'd that's be not a way, really, That'd be a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where he came up with that. Yeah. But, you know, I, it is intriguing. Yeah. Hey, we've got to take a short break here, folks. When we come back on the Fallon Forum with uh, Charles Goldman and myself, Ed Fallon, here, we're going to switch gears and talk about the abortion, bait, or abortion debate and uh, the political side of that, which has both a state and a national angle. Coming back in a few minutes here on Lorena, 1260 AM. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sergeant's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Bold Iowa was launched in 2016 to fight the Dakota Access Pipeline and continues to support the landowners who filed lawsuits 
against the abuse of eminent domain to build that pipeline. Bold Iowa's mission is to build rural-urban coalitions to fight climate change, prevent the abuse of eminent domain, protect Iowa's soil, air, and water, and support non-industrial renewable energy systems. For more information, visit boldiowa.com, not .org.com. That's boldiowa.com. Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon with you here as we broadcast from La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. Uh, with me, Dr. Charles Goldman. Later in the program, we're going to be talking with Veronica Fowler with the ACLU of Iowa about the efforts to restore the voting rights of felons. And uh, then we're going to talk about the Green New Deal later in the program, take a look at the actual resolution and talk about that a little bit and some of the uh, pushback about that uh, uh, people being concerned that it's going to ban cows, that it's going to ban airplanes. We'll talk about that when we come back uh, in the very last part of the program. But right now, Charles Goldman with me, <clears throat> and uh, excuse me, and we're going to talk a little bit about the politics of abortion. Unfortunately, because obviously uh, this this political issue has hamstrung the American politic for half a decade now. So we had a number of things happen this week. We had the president um, bring up the issue of what I guess it used to be called partial birth abortion, but now it's called live birth abortion because of the uh, introduction, as has happened every year in Virginia for the last decade or so, of um, legislation to make it easier for women in the third trimester, for the most part, with blighted fetuses to uh, get abortions without having to have three doctors and, and, sign off. And you'd probably catch some flack for saying the word blighted, but you're a physician. Well, blighted so fetuses are, are, yeah, you, you get into the into the third trimester and with ultrasound evidence, these are sometimes anencephalic kids. They have no brain other mm. than the base of the brain. Uh, they have uh, irretrievable diaphragmatic uh, agenesis, which means they have no muscles of, of breathing. They could never survive outside. Um, so and under under this law, under the law that's presently in place in, in Virginia, Iowa, or well, Virginia, in okay, Virginia, no. you had to have three doctors, uh, in, two doctors in addition to your own doctor, sign off that this was in fact a situation of irretrievable. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and you know, it's this is not about what it was portrayed as, which is it's it's about oh. In your third trimester, I was too lazy to get an abortion in the legal time frame. I just don't feel like having this child. That's the argument. That, well, that's how it was portrayed. Someone, yeah. Right. And so that's what led to it being included in, in President Trump's speech. <clears throat> now, you know, the problem has always been the purity of the, of the uh, pro – I don't want to say pro – but the uh, abortion rights crew has been that there's too many among that crew who want – no, about 20 percent of people – don't want any restriction on abortion at all. Mm-hmm. That is a position that's untenable in the United States. It's untenable in Europe. Now, there are countries in Europe that are much more liberal in terms of their policies related to abortion than we are, except for Roe v. Wade being right. the overriding law. But in, in Europe, it's not unusual that at 12 weeks, that's the cutoff, the first trimester. Um, some of them go out as far as 20 weeks. The problem has become that when Roe v. Wade was decided, the ability to, to keep um, a neonate alive who was born early, like in the later part of the second trimester, wasn't there. Mm. Well, now it is. So the notion of when you have a life you could support outside of the womb has changed. And that's, I think, made it a little bit difficult for the definition that Roe v. Wade gave. On the other hand, you have laws like the heartbeat law, which is ludicrous scientifically. Having a heartbeat has, is nothing akin to the ability to have independent life outside the womb right. under any circumstance. Again, and the examples you gave earlier are a testament to that. Right. So um, so that's, of course, where Iowa is. And um, <clears throat> that was overturned locally already as clearly not courts. consistent right. not consistent with the law of the land. So you had that going on. So you had this whole thing that generated out of the, the, the third trimester abortion issue coming out of Virginia. Then, of course, you had the uh, Louisiana law, which is basically a copy of the law in Oklahoma and Texas and other places, uh, trying to find a way to close abortion clinics without 
making it clear that's what was being done. Now, the the law in Texas was not upheld by the Supreme Court uh, two years ago or two and a half years ago when uh, Kennedy was still on it because it was felt to, to place an undue burden on those who were seeking what was legal, which is an abortion. So, so, so back to Trump and the State of the Union address. Yeah. I, I mean, he... He brings it up in the – that's, that's the uh, – if there is um, a fridge full of red meat for the base, that's, 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 uh, that's, that's filet mignon. That's, that's the prime cut right there. That's right. what's always going to get the base fired up more than anything else. I mean now that the whole issue of, quote, gay marriage is lost <laughs> because, right. because we're just not going back on that one. That's, 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 I, I think that's, it would be highly unlikely we're yeah, going back no on way. gay marriage. But, but, but abortion still allows for – the firing up of the base. And I think that, that to me explains why a lot of otherwise very uh, reasonable and, and law-abiding and ethical conservative Christians who lead decent lives can support a man who lives a life, who has lived a life that's very contrary to their own, you know, commitments, uh, and, and yet they support him. And I think that's the reason. That's my take on it. They, they, want, they want a president who's going to outlaw abortion and they don't care how bad of a man he is. If he's going to do it, they're going to support him. And so he's going to throw them, you know, some reminder of that during the State of the Union. That's my take. Well, what do you think? you know, but if you look at the actual polling data in the United States, it's about 50-50 in terms of uh, having issues with abortion being legal and not having issues. But in, among that 50-50, there's a lot of gradations. There were some, sure. there were some in the pro-life movement, and, and I'll go with their name, although I don't really consider them a pro-life movement. It's only about the fetus, because pro-life would also include that if you want if you want people to have their these children to you know to term, how about you know making their lives not be lived in poverty? How about doing social programs that would benefit them? Assuring a decent wage. Right. How about making it so that they could sure. seek an abortion during the time frame that you consider okay, but they don't have the health coverage to be able to do that? So anyway, I don't consider it pro-life. But, the pro, but among the pro-life group, you've got some absolutists, just like you have absolutists on the, on the uh, women's rights side, which is that all abortions should be banned. They're the equivalent of the all abortions should be legal. And then you've got gradations of at what point are you comfortable with it in terms of what weeks of maturity are okay. Um, the third trimester issue is just a straw man. It's just, it's just more inf- misinformation, um, but it's used to fire up not just the base, but to fire up those who are ambivalent mm. about the morality of any abortion. Right. You know, and and this is a no-win issue. This is a clash of rights. This is a clash of rights between the mother and the the fetus, and it's it's also something where people come down basically fifty-fifty when you look at it in this country. So it's hard to it's hard to just say he's firing up the base, but of course that's his point. So you know, I I look at the uh, the the, some of the big social issues of the uh, of of our of our country's history. Mm -hmm. You know, slavery. We got to a point where that was abolished, and we never went back. Right. Women re- received the right to, right to vote. It's never been taken away from them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we saw significant advances in the civil rights struggle in the 60s. And even though there's been a lot of growing pains moving forward on that, you know, we haven't backtracked from, from the voting right. Well, I guess we have back- backtracked a little bit with the recent, uh, recent Republican Congress. But overall, we've seen those gains hold. We've seen the gains hold on marriage equality. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like abortion is of a different type of social issue that's going to be with us for a long time because it is so hard to really pin down uh, the the basic question of when does life begin. Well, well, you make an interesting point because it, there have been many who felt that the coerciveness of Roe v. Wade was out in front of the social changes. In other words, the women's movement, feminism, doesn't come in until after Roe v. Wade. Perhaps if Roe v. Wade had occurred at a time when the whole feminist movement was becoming more concrete for people, then the association of Roe v. Wade with women's rights would have been clearer. So it is of a very different ilk. It forced something on parts of the country that they weren't ready for then and they aren't ready for now because if Roe v. Wade disappears, the entire South will make abortion illegal within their states. I mean, I don't think it's any question. Right. And that's 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 a big issue. 
It is a big issue. Yeah. All right. Hey, we've got to take a short break, folks. When we come back on the Fallon Forum, Veronica Fowler with the American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa going to join us to talk about efforts to restore the voting rights of felons. Back here in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Fallon Forum, that's uh, Brother Trucker, and they're tuned downtown as we kick off the, uh, the third segment of our program here, broadcasting from La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5, 96.5 FM in Des Moines. And Des Moines, of course, I like to refer to Des Moines as the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. So there. Okay, later in the program, especially on our community-owned stations, we'll be discussing the Green New Deal with Dr. Charles Goldman. In the meantime, though, we want to take a look at a, an issue that's gotten a lot of play in Iowa and some play nationally, especially after what happened in Florida this past election, the restoration of voting rights for felons. And with us to talk about that is Veronica, Veronica Fowler with the, uh, Iowa, the American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa. There we go. Uh, Veronica, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Again, Iowa is one of a few states that don't allow felons to automatically have their voting rights restored, correct? That's right. Now it's just us and Kentucky. Wow. <laughs> well, Great company. Yeah. Hey, don't make fun mm-hmm. of Kentucky. So, uh, <laughs> well, Kentucky is a beautiful, wonderful state, but it's just us and Kentucky now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and of course, Iowa had enacted by, I mean, it was enacted with the governor, Governor Vilsack, back in, I think, ninety. Nine, I believe, restored. Um, actually, it was uh, Governor Vilsack's order was about two thousand and five. Two thousand five. So he'd been in office for a while, right? Okay. I, I didn't. I thought he had done it immediately. I forgot that. So, I wish, but no, it was, anyway, it was a yeah. little bit later. So, and now, uh, I mean, Governor Branstad, of course, just rescinded his order and went back to the old school where. Felons, again, to be clear, they can get their voting rights restored, but the process is so cumbersome that very few are willing to subject themselves to it. Is that a fair description? Right. And they also, if they don't fill it out correctly, they risk charges of perjury. So what we are finding is that most people who apply do so only with the help of an attorney or an advocacy organization that um, specializes in this kind of thing, because the, the stakes are really high if you mess up. That's one reason the numbers are so low, the numbers of people who've had their voting rights restored after a felony conviction. And if you were going to hire an attorney to go through that process, what would that cost? I, I'm sure it varies from attorney to attorney. Sure. You might get somebody to do pro bono work. Um, so it just it really varies. Right. But right now we have an interesting situation in Iowa where the governor is proposing, the Republican governor is proposing that uh, we change the process via the Constitution, which my impression is that's a good idea, but I don't understand why she's not willing to also attempt well, a, a it, more... It's interesting. They want to change the selection process for the judges by law, which is already in the Constitution. Here they want to delay the process out into the future because it will be, f- what, four or five years down the road if yeah. you go that route. Uh, so it... it so it allows her to say she's for it, but she could change it by legislation. So what's your analysis of it, Veronica? Why is, why is the, the governor opting for this well, approach? There's, there's multiple ways to remedy this wrong. Um, we are delighted that, that Governor Reynolds understands that um, the fundamental concept of withholding the right to vote from people who have served their time, done their sentences, serves no no purpose, no good, no public good. And in fact, studies show that when you restore voting voting rights to people, they're participating in their democracy, they're invested in their communities, they're less likely to reoffend and more likely to become those productive citizens that, that everybody wants. That makes sense. Yeah. So one way of doing that is as you as you, as you and your listeners probably know, we've had a zigzag back and forth over the past several years and that's one governor comes into office, issues an executive order that says people with felony convictions and even people with merely aggravated misdemeanors can't vote. Then another governor comes in office and issues an executive order 
and then another governor comes into office and, and, and issues an order that reverses the previous one. So we've had this zigzag back and forth. It's been very confusing for voters, even confusing for county auditors and poll workers. And um, so it's it has been kind of a mess. Um, uh, to get to the, the, the nut of your question, we're thrilled that Governor Reynolds wants to pursue a constitutional amendment. That's what we've been advocating, because that is the one, as much as you and I have anything permanent, permanent fix to this. So we don't have this flip-flopping back and forth from one executive order to another executive order. But, of course, constitutional amendments take a long time. You need to have two consecutive general assemblies. That's every two years of the legislature. And then you have to have it put to a vote. So it's a pretty heavy lift. Yeah. But it's a list that needs to be made. And yes, of course, Governor Branstead could, with a stroke of her pen, Governor reverse Rose. this. And Gov- why she Gov- chooses Governor to do Reynolds, that, or yeah. why she chooses... Yeah. I'm sorry, did I say Branstead? Sorry, yeah. Governor Reynolds. That's, that's, that's um, <laughs> we're, we were so used to saying Governor Branstead for so very long. For 30-something years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, uh, anyway, Governor Reynolds could do this with a stroke of her pen, and why she chooses not to do that or not to pursue that at this time is known to her and her staffers. Um, we don't we don't know why, but we do appreciate very much um, her pursuing constitutional amendment. And of course, legislation could also be introduced and passed that would take care of this. What about the issue uh, that this became linked to victims' rights and restitution prior to? Yeah, that's sort of puzzling because um, I don't know how. Um, uh, basically allowing somebody to vote is necessarily... I mean, in some cases, these people um, have simply repeat drug offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't point to any one person who is the victim. Um, in some cases, the, you know, felonies are surprisingly easy to commit. If you're 18 and you steal an expensive bike... You've got a class D felony on your right, you know, or you go out to you go out to protest a pipeline getting put in the ground, and you can get well, a felony. Well, there, there are certainly possibilities there as well. Um, you know, three OWIs is is a really? felony. Really, really, well, yeah. So, um, uh, which I don't personally have so a problem with. It, it doesn't. Again, to get back to it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to serve any purpose. And as far as restitution, mm-hmm. um, the problem with that is that. What we then have is a system where poor people don't get to vote and rich people do. If you can write a check and make all your, and it's not just necessarily restitution too, because usually all those fees are wrapped in court fees and lawyer fees, even if you have a court appointed lawyer. And so the amount, you know, any bails that you ended up needing to post to get out of jail so that you can go back to work right, and I take mean, care of your children. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So, I mean, so, this... so it, making it dependent on, Restitution court fees is basically a poll tax, and it penalizes mm. poor people and allows rich people to vote, and and this enables poor people from being able mm. to vote. Well, and and you know, I don't think all Iowans are aware of of how much of a poll tax being jailed in Iowa is. You know, you put into mm-hmm. a county facility, you're paying room and board essentially. Right. Uh, right. The court mm-hmm. fees. Yes, are, you have to quit. exactly. Right. The court fees are, are very high, so you have somebody who cannot make money supposed to come out and make mm-hmm. money to pay back their own incarceration and then the idea of restitution on top of that you're absolutely right it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it mm-hmm. is favored it's it disfavoring those who don't have the uh, financial resources Veronica we've got to take a real Bye. short break here but when we come back I want to continue this conversation I want to get your take on how the uh, the uh, the vote in Florida the public vote on restoration mm-hmm. of felon voting rights, how that might affect what happens here in Iowa. And I also want to speculate maybe with Charles a bit more on what Governor Reynolds' motivations are in for, for, for ignoring the option of, a, of an actual legislative solution. But we'll, let's talk about those and, and more when we come back Great. from a short break here on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. 
stop by, or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here in the studio with me, Charles Goldman. Uh, later in the program, we're going to talk about the Green New Deal, look at the resolution itself, and uh, take a crack at uh, our best analysis. In the meantime, though, we're going to continue our conversation with Veronica Fowler with the American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa. We've been talking about efforts to restore the voting rights of felons, which uh, finally seems to be on a good track. Uh, again, if the uh, state legislature passes... The, uh, the the bill this year to change the Constitution. Uh, it um, it can't do it again next year. It would have to mm-hmm. come back the following year, and then it would have two years to pass it again, and then it would have to be voted on by the general public at, I believe, a general election. And what I'm wondering, Veronica, we saw something, I think, that surprised a lot of people. Uh, Florida uh, had that issue on the ballot. And mm-hmm. I believe the vote was fairly uh, overwhelming. I mean, maybe overwhelming is too, yeah. too strong of a word, but I think it was fairly significant uh, that most people in Florida supported allowing felons to have their voting rights restored. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, you know, Florida really, that was such uh, an important, massive turning point. You know, so many people who had been disenfranchised, um, including a lot of African-Americans, um, were able to, you know, have their voting rights restored. And that really, it was just a sea change, I think, of the energy going into the argument. Because once Florida fell, once um, it just became the writing on the wall, I think that the two remaining states that permanently disenfranchised people with felony convictions, Iowa and Kentucky, you know, the eyes of the nation are turned to us now. Yeah. Now, was it last? Well, especially, especially given the visibility of Senator Grassley in terms of the federal criminal reform, mm-hmm. the sentencing reform. Yeah, this it's an goes, embarrassment that we're not doing anything. This kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, criminal justice reform right. generally. Huh? Right. Yes. So yes. Uh, it's a really, it's, it's a fundamental rethinking about what works and what doesn't work. Because for decades it's been the war on drugs, get tough on crime, and all we're doing is locking up the largest percentage of our citizenry in the world. And it's incredibly expensive in terms of money and human human costs. And so even conservatives, even people who have traditionally you know, positioned themselves as tough on crime, are realizing that the point isn't being tough on crime. The point is, how do we make our communities safer? How do we make our communities higher functioning? Which is a much better question to right. be asking. And in, in Iowa, I mean, small state, 3 million people, we have 50 – correct me if my number is wrong, but last I checked, we have 50,000 people who are uneligible to vote because of their status as ex-felons, correct? That's not right? And that's, that's – yes, that's, that's, that's approximate. It's not a super hard, fast number. There have been a couple numbers sure. thrown out there, but yeah. the number is pretty much – the concession is it's probably between fifty and 60,000. Do you happen to know how many voters were affected, affected in Florida? Over a million is what I thought. Over a million? It, it was – Wow. Yeah, I think it, that's what the, the number. I don't. I can't tell you off the top of my head, but my 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 memory is that it was more than a million. So was there organized? Was there organized opposition to the referendum in Florida? I'm sure there was. 
I'm, I, mm. and I, I um, yes, I'm, I'm sure there was. It was right. probably, fortunately, I think overwhelmingly, as the, the vote indicated, there was overwhelming support. You know, and in Florida, too, um, because it has such a high African-American population, and and, um, it was even more important because, you know, and a really, really important part of this problem is that when um, because of systemic um, racial disparities in our criminal justice system, people of color are arrested and um, convicted at much higher rates than white people. And, you know, one of a statistic we throw out again and again and again is, you know, a study of law enforcement statistics in Iowa by the ACLU um, found that in Iowa, a black Iowan is eight times more likely to be arrested right. for marijuana possession yep. than a white person, even though other studies show that the two groups use marijuana at about the same rate. Yeah, yeah. that's that's scandalous. And it's those kind of fundamental disparities that then lead to black people having a higher rate of um, felony convictions than white people. And I think the current figure is that um, it has been as high as, I think, one in four, before Vilsack signed his order. Uh, One in four African-American potential voters, you know, people who are voting age, couldn't vote that's because crazy. of a felony yep. conviction. That's absolutely background. crazy. Now well, it's about 1 in 11. It's interesting about Florida, which is that um, a lot of what happened in Florida had to do with Andrew Gillum. And, you know, this is one of the things I think that the centrists in the Democratic Party don't get, which is that if you drive turnout, you also will drive down ballot issues. And so Gillum drove turnout, there's no question about it, even though he narrowly lost for governor. But that may well have been and allowed them to carry the referendum as strongly as they did. Now, of course, what's happening in Florida is that the Florida legislature and the Republican governor are doing everything they can to say, well, the referendum is not specific enough, and how are we going to implement this? And, of course, it's going to take us two years or more to implement this, which would carry it past the 2020 election. So um, that's uh, unfortunately how things sometimes go. And I can't remember right. which was the other state where the, the same thing happened. Maybe it was Michigan. And um, they're trying the same thing, which is to delay the will of the people. Uh, so, they're all for the will of the people until it goes against their So in terms, of, in terms of Florida uh, and, the, and the lessons there for Iowa, uh, it bodes well for, again, presuming the legislature can pass this in two subsequent sessions or two subsequent general assemblies, it, it would, we would assume that the public would be similarly inclined to support that change, Correct. And no way to know for sure, but I think it, it feels pretty positive. Well, of course. I, I, you know, I think I think so. I would hope so. Um, None the I fourth think, district. Um, <laughs> Governor Reynolds very, very eloquently articulated it that, um, you know, people believe in a second chance. People want people to participate in their communities, to be invested in their communities. Right. And allowing people to vote for their local school board, for their city council. It's critical, and in fact, um, you know, one one way that the ball was really moved forward in this whole debate is Chido, which is an um, an Iowa Supreme Court decision a few years ago. Because it used to be, even if you had an aggravated misdemeanor, which basically could be you got in a barroom brawl, um, disqualified you for life from voting. And I think it was Ned Chido wanted to run for office. And he couldn't because he had been disenfranchised because he had an aggravated misdemeanor. Did he have a ballroom brawl? A barroom brawl? Once? I'm trying. I think it. I. I, <laughs> I might be misremembering. I think it was an OWI, like a second uh, okay. OWI. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, anyway, and so he uh, filed a lawsuit, and the Iowa Supreme Court basically interpreted the Iowa Constitution to say yes. Yeah. The founders of, of, of our state constitution did not mean to take away the right to vote for life for right. people who have aggravate, aggravated misdemeanors. Yeah. Uh, if we could ask so, a, a, another question away from the voting issue. Does uh, the ACLU have any position or activity related to abolishing cash bail, which is another inequity in our system? Well, certainly we have deep concerns on it. I can't tell you off, yeah, off the top of my head our position. Mm. But yeah, but once again, it brings the criminal justice system down to those who have money are treated better than those who aren't. 
and of course, you know that you know it, it that percolates all through the system. But the the cash bail is an antiquated system, and it just continues in our system for not any particularly good reason, um, except to create economic disparities. Mm-hmm. Poor people stay in jail, lose their jobs, lose custody of their children. Rich people write a check or have a uh, have a have a a wealthy friend write a check or a wealthy parent write a check, and they are able to get out of jail. It's not a system that makes sense anymore. You know, maybe 200 years ago it did, but it doesn't anymore. Well, that was, yeah, 200 years ago was a system where if you were in debt, they put you in prison. And I didn't exactly understand how you're supposed to pay your debt off. (laughs) Right, right. One of our favorite sayings around the ACLU is it's Dickensian. Uh-huh. And that's the <laughs> Veronica, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate the conversation and appreciate your efforts. All right. Thank you so much for having us. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Veronica Fowler with the American Civil, Lib- Civil Liberties Union of Iowa about the uh, restoration of voting rights. Again, thanks to the uh, local businesses that helped make this program possible. Thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland in the uh, Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and an excellent place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got an excellent catering service. Thanks also to Community CPA and Associates with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It's tax season, folks. Give Ying Tsai at Community CPA a shout. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant on East 5th and Walnut, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Uh, thanks also to Sargent's Garage, located at 6th and College. They've been working on four generations of Fallon mobiles and always do a great job. Give me a fair price and give me an excellent diagnosis the first time. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, building urban-rural co- rural coalitions to fight climate change, to push back against the Dakota Access Pipeline, and to promote energy sources that are renewable. And finally, thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs under one roof, no appointment needed. That's Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Thanks again for tuning in today, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host, signing off from the Fallon Forum. Back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you and Charles Goldman here in the studio analyzing the Green New Deal, the resolution proposed by Ed Markey, U.S. Senator from Massachusetts, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York City. So uh, the obviously the pushback as soon as Ocasio-Cortez announced the bill and uh, was significant. And, you know, lots of people who are opposed to this uh, who uh, they're trying to discredit the effort, not by attacking the the bill, the proposal itself, but by attacking the person, by saying that Ocasio-Cortez is a ditz, is stupid, is uh, is a fool. I mean, I've heard all these words and more. Well, and, and actually, the most recent attack on her was that she has a terrible credit rating because she doesn't have <laughs> right doesn't know how to well. manage money. Um, it turned out that. Yeah, the the truth, of course, came out, and this her student debt is still on her well her record. Her congressional patient, I'll take care of that in short order. Yeah, <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, you would think. All right, but uh, I was I was talking with a a guy I know, great guy. He's actually supportive of some of the work I do, and um, but he, uh, he 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 I don't know who he's been listening to, but I know the attack from the talking heads on the right. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Fox News, etc., mm. has been vicious and relentless. And I know some of the stuff being discussed is uh, when I heard it. I mean, I I heard some of this stuff before I actually read the resolution. One was that the Green New Deal would ban cows, and I I was shocked. I I, I, I said I would be really surprised to see anything in any bill. Before any 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 uh, session of Congress that would ban cows, uh-huh. and I I found the only <clears throat> the only reference in the bill to farms and agriculture is uh, is to require as, as part of the effort to get to the Green New Deal to get it accomplished is to work collaborative collaboratively with farmers and ranchers in the U.S. to remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the ag sector as much as is technologically feasible, including by supporting family farming. By investing in sustainable farming and land use practices that, practices that increase soil health and by building a more sustainable food system 
that ensures universal access to healthy food. No mention of cows. Right. No mention of uh, bovine uh, flatulence. Well. Uh, I I don't know where they're getting that from. And and see, the irony is is that, um, of course, on on the right, we can just dismiss it by saying, oh, they want to ban cows. But, you know, one of the issues about the food system, beside the fact that it supplies such a multiplicity of unhealthy foods, is that um, our excess consumption of meat is highly injurious because it's not just about cow flatulence. It's also about the fact that a huge proportion of what we grow is not directed to feeding humans. It's directed to feeding the animals that and, we then eat. And the cars. Right. <laughs> well, but right, we, we can talk, right. you know, talk about ethanol. I mean, the irony, too, about the Green New Deal was that it wasn't just talking about environmental issues. It was also talking about fair pay. Right. And trying to eliminate Full poverty. Employment. Yeah. yeah. And things and healthcare. That, yeah. Free, you know, the free college education thing, which obviously is is part and parcel of the yeah. sort of leftist and wing I, of the Democratic I, I, Party. I think, and I think like that, that. that ought to be means tested. I don't think everybody needs free education. There's plenty of people who can afford it. That's it, true. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's another story. Uh, I don't know where they're getting this from. I, I, I haven't. I've, well, because they're assuming that no one's going to read. And that's a safe assumption in the United States. Um, they're too busy reading, you know, their social media um, well, chain. Again, it's it, it, there's absolutely nothing in the bill, in the resolution, I should say, that says anything about eliminating cows. Well, well, let's talk about what it does say. And one of the things it says is, you know, remember that we've had Infrastructure Week now every week for the last two years of the Trump administration, <laughs> but of course nothing has happened. Right. So, but the question is, if we're going to go along, and it's going to be very hard. I mean, you know, Trump showing himself to be a complete neophyte as a politician could really hamstring the, the Democrats if he actually ever put forth a plan for infrastructure. Um, oh, how so? How so? Well, because it's going to be a situation where are they going to oppose it just because it's Trump uh, proposing it, or what are they going to do with it? Well, what if his inf- infrastructure plan includes a significant build-out of the fossil fuel infrastructure? Well, of course. That's, uh, the that's whole part point. of his plan. That's my whole point. Yeah. The whole point is, is that the Green New Deal allows the Democrats to coalesce around the plan that would say, yeah, let's do infrastructure, but let's not do 18th century infrastructure. Let's do 20, you know, 21st century infrastructure. Um, and why do we continue to waste infrastructure on techniques of power production and energy production that are doomed to be obsolete? And yeah. Well, because know, there's money to be made by a handful of people who have gotten well, used to those, uh, those benefits. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and then, of course, the thing that came up is, well, how are we going to pay for this? Well, the first thing we do to pay for it is stop giving preferences in the tax codes to oil and gas depletion allowances and other things. It's time for oil and gas to pay full freight. Right. You know, yeah. the same and people who are yelling and screaming about socialism. What is it, $25 billion oh, in, inc- more, in incentives that they get a year? More than that. Yeah. Because let's, let's also acknowledge that the size of our military is about keeping access open to now export the oil. And to gaining new access in places like Venezuela. Well, let's not get into Venezuela. <laughs> get into We're going to talk about that let's next Let's not week. go into we'll what's about going that. on in Venezuela. Yeah, has crazy. It's actually more to do with probably Florida politics than anything else. Oh, it has a lot to do with oil too, but we'll talk yeah. about that some other time. Well, but yeah. the, the, the point being that I think that there's, a, there's an opportunity here to link infrastructure with the Green New Deal in a way that would be highly productive. And... The second part, as I said, is you're going to pay for it by stopping giving preferences to oil and gas and, and let people find out at the pump that the true price of gasoline should be in the excess of 6 or $7, that we subsidize it with the various preferences that these corporate socialists get. See, I mean, it's, it's just a joke that we're talking about socialism. Because the only socialism we we never talk about, that's right, the only socialism we never talk about is the corporate socialism or the crony capitalism, as it's called, that we practice in this country. Yeah, even Mitt Romney used that expression. Yeah. So so let people find out how much more expensive it is to put gas in their car. Let people find out how much more expensive electricity should be if the— Once we take away the subsidies. Well, take away the subsidies and also take away the fact that— we don't allow the taxpayer in general to mitigate the harmful costs of coal ash and the other things yeah. that are produced by you know, coal-producing plants. Um, the, the main problem from the Green New Deal is where's the technology to replace 
the electrical capacity and also to change the American automobile and truck fleet. Well, I think the, the technology is there. It's a question of how we, how we build it out. And I, I'm all for seeing a distributed generation, more, uh, more uh, smaller businesses, uh, more uh, local governments uh, allowed to produce and, and control their own energy destiny. I think uh, that would take a lot of pressure and off. And interesting, uh, where do you see that? You see that when? mostly in the blue states in the United States. You see it no, in you California. See, you, you, see, see it. you see it here in Iowa. There's lots of, we have lots, of, lots of municipal utilities in Iowa, lots That's of uh, rural electric cooperatives. Right, but I'm thinking in terms of even personally distributed because, you know, the second leading producer of solar energy in the United States is New Jersey, not a state known for its huge amount of sunshine. Um, we have Chris Christie to thank for that? It, yes, because that's part of it. You know, well, but I was kidding. True, really? It's true. Okay. Well, it, it happened <laughs> under his, his governorship, yeah. I mean, and then you ask yourself, why isn't Florida number two after California? Why? Arizona is close to it. They're, they're, they're high up there. That, may, that does make sense. But, yeah. I mean, it's because the, the big utility companies don't want it. Right. They fight it. They're, they're fighting it here in Iowa now. Right. And they passed a referendum, which they completely misnamed it and misrepresented it, that the uh, Florida uh, electorate passed thinking that they were, you know, yeah. protecting access. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I think the Green New Deal is a great thing to link with reality and also to make the case See, I'm afraid that the Democrats' answer to being charged with socialism is going to be to say, no, we're not socialists. What yeah. they should do instead is turn around and say, let's talk about socialism in this country and see who gets the benefits yeah, of socialism yeah, in this yeah. country. Exactly. You're exactly right. That would, be, that would be a really healthy conversation to have. And one that I think your average person, red or blue state voter, would tune into. So, I, you know, another, another concern raised to me about the, uh, about the Green New Deal mm-hmm. is that um, – I was told by, again, somebody who has probably heard this on, I, I'm assuming they heard it on right-wing radio, that... Um, or Sinclair. <laughs> or Sinclair. <laughs> that that uh, the, the bill would require the, and I read from it, upgrading all existing buildings in the U.S. and building new buildings to achieve maximum energy efficiency, water efficiency, safety, affordability, comfort and durability, including through electrification. That's a mouthful. This is, uh, again, legislation written by legal staff. Mm-hmm. But basically, you know, it's saying that, um, that, that buildings, new buildings will be required to meet certain standards and that um, existing buildings will be upgraded. Now, as best they can. As best, as best they can. Now, we, we saw, we saw th- there's a prototype for this. It's called the ADA, the Americans with Disability mm-hmm. Act. When that went into, be- into effect, it required a lot of older buildings to, you know, to... to did go through some pain to make themselves more accessible to people with disabilities. That happened. We made it through that. The concern that this guy shared with me is that this is going. This means we're going to have to have thirty thousand buildings torn down and rebuilt every month. Now, I, I I don't see that in I don't see that in the language, and I don't see that ever happening. But these are the things that are being used to discredit it by the the voices that are funded by big oil. Which, right. again, is Fox News and most of radio. <laughs> and most of the Republican yeah. Party. Yeah. Right. And some in the Democratic Party. But so. you see, and again, they're missing the point. Because when you talk about upgrading buildings, that's the kind of work that those who haven't been able to participate in the expansion of education in the United States, that's the kind of work that should still be available. They can't be automated out of it. Right. You know, so that would be useful work to our society and useful work to those who can get it. Well, and that's part of what the what the what the resolution wants to accomplish. But part of what the Green New Deal wants to accomplish is full employment, and a lot of that employment comes with addressing the concerns we have to address regarding climate change. Well, uh, you you can see this because what's the what's the Republican plan? The Republican plan is to increase employment by going back to old style manufacturing a coal industry that's failing in spite of their best efforts to expand employment under the uh, Trump administration, and other old technologies. The, that, that's the beauty of the idea of the Green New Deal, which is to do – what did the New Deal do in the 1930s? It took people and put them to work doing the arts. It took people and put them to work fixing – Building infrastructure. Building infrastructure in our national was, parks, it was, it was building roads. So yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, that again, that's why to me this is a – this is – Something and unfortunately, you know, Nancy Pelosi was very dismissive of it. Yes, the Green New Something. What did you call it? She had a very dismissive dismissive. Green Dream. Yeah, she called it the Green Dream. Right. But this is this to me is something you could easily link to what should be the Democratic 
program, which is to show how you're going to increase employment and you do it in a way that's useful to every everyone, not simply to increase employment in industries. I mean, we should just go back to making buggy whips or something like that. That would increase employment too. Right. But it would look like communism. Well, so, so the very it, thing they're trying to avoid. So would having more health care costs. Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. If, if people have more medical problems, we increase employment. Right. <laughs> that's not necessarily a good thing. No, it isn't. Yeah. But, I mean, that's if the we whole need, point. If we, if we need more divorce attorneys, that's, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's, uh, that grows the economy. Not necessarily a good thing. Well, More but, psychiatric care. But, that's, again, that's thing. not the infrastructure I know. that this administration is interested in. Yeah. Right, I know. They're interested in only one kind of infrastructure which is basic manufacturing infrastructure and oil and gas yeah. exploration. Yeah. So uh, I have a feeling that, is, that if some, some Republican lawmakers read this resolution, they're going to get no further than, uh, than the very first point. Resolution. Uh, no, well, <laughs> not, not the word resolution. Uh, the very first line says, uh, whereas the October 2018 report entitled Special Report on Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees Centigrade, by the IPCC, and the November 2018 Fourth National Climate Assessment Report found that human activity is the dominant cause of observed climate change over the past century. I have a feeling some of them aren't going to get past that, even though the federal government, Trump's own federal government, is what announced that, even though 90-what-plus scientists involved with the IPCC report announced that. I have a feeling that's going to be the biggest stumbling block. There's still too many of them that don't accept that that human activity no. is the dominant cause I, I, of climate change. I, I disagree with you. I think the Republicans are posturing. There's plenty of Republicans who believe the science. It's just not what their party is willing to support. Well, we're going to let you have the last word. <laughs> That's thanks. my last word. All right. Thanks, folks, for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you here today, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa.